Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. You can also email me. I'd love to hear from you. Also, when people are doing the contest, they email me the answers. So it's Saturdays with Joy Keys at Hotmail.com. I want to thank you so much. Oops, lost my headphone there. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for um, tuning in and the support, and I hope you've enjoyed the shows. Um, today we're going to be speaking about bipolar disorder. I have a special guest here. Um, she's a Harvard-trained adult, child, and adolescent psychiatrist who currently serves as the Associate Medical Director for the National Alliance of Mental Health, Mental Illness. She is also an assistant professor of psychiatry at Boston University School of Medicine and treats patients in the Boston Medical Center Child and Adolescent Psychiatry Clinic. In addition to her clinical work and teaching medical students, she has expertise in areas such as racial disparities with mental health care system and discussing the impact of racism on the mental health of people of color. This is Dr. Christine Crawford. Good morning. Good morning, Joy. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for agreeing to wake up. I know a lot of times people are sleeping in on Saturdays, so it's before 12. Um, probably, you know, I don't know if you had your first <laughs> cup of coffee yet. <laughs> um, yes, yes. So, so thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so this is a mysterious illness. As I was speaking with you the other day, people kind of use it flippantly, though, They'll be like, oh, man, that guy is bipolar, you know, somebody at work. You know, they're like in and out. They're going up and down with their mood. Mm -hmm. And people Mm -hmm. fling that comment, oh, that guy's bipolar, or she's bipolar, like your girlfriend. Like she's always tripping about something. That's not really Mm -hmm. helpful. Um, It can be harmful if somebody takes you seriously, oh, this person really has bipolar. And then, well, what is bipolar disorder? Like, there's a range. Yeah. So let's just start at the beginning. I know there's different types of bipolar, like bipolar one, uh, bipolar two. Talk about the difference. What's bipolar one? Yeah, so this is a really great question because you're right. Um, when people are just talking amongst each other, oh, they're bipolar, they're all over the place. So I think it's really great to provide a little clarity as to what the disorder is all about. Now, bipolar disorder one is a mood disorder in which people can experience uh, a wide range of emotions going from highs to lows, which is one of the reasons why it's referred to as bipolar. To one end of the extreme or the spectrum of mood symptoms that people can have is having elevated mood, feeling um, really happy, a sense of euphoria. And during that mood state, they can also be talking really fast, have rapid speech, they're not sleeping as much, 
And they may have some grandiose thinking, thinking that they're on top of the world, that they can accomplish every single task. They have these big Mm -hmm. ideas, and they're staying up late, working on things, um, you know, hour after hour without any interruption. And these symptoms can become so uh, severe that they interfere with your ability to work, interfere with your ability to maintain relationships with people because you may Mm -hmm. engage in some irresponsible uh, types of behavior. Um, And so that's what bipolar one looks like in terms of the symptoms, specifically of mania. So what I described is the manic symptoms that we see in people who have bipolar disorder. In addition to mania, people with bipolar disorder type 1 can also have bouts of depression. So you're going Mm. from this elevated high, and then within a matter of weeks, you go to these um, these devastating lows in which you're profoundly depressed, you're not sleeping, you're not able to eat, um, you're losing interest in the things that you would usually enjoy, and it's getting in the way of your day-to-day activities. So that's bipolar one. Now, okay. when people talk about bipolar two, um, these are the people who have some depression symptoms, and, and perhaps some symptoms of, of mania where they're staying up late, working really hard on projects, um, and their mood is a little bit elevated, but it doesn't get in the way of their ability to function. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. people with bipolar type 1 can be so impaired that they end up in the hospital, but bipolar type 2, um, you don't end up in the hospital, but you do tend to fluctuate between these mood states, mania, hypomania, and depression. Okay. Now, um, I was reading that, you know, it affects more than 6 million American adults, um, and it shows up in the late teens. Is that what you've been Mm -hmm. seeing in your work, that it shows up in late teens? Can somebody not all of a sudden find that they're bipolar when they're 40? How is that? What have you seen in your work? Yeah, so most people who present with symptoms of bipolar usually fall within, like, 18 to 30 in terms of like their initial presentation. And what's Mm -hmm. challenging about bipolar disorder is that there are a lot of people who initially present with symptoms of depression who are only treated for their depressive symptoms, but it turns out that they actually have an underlying bipolar disorder that will over time start to reveal itself. One of the reasons why we really notice some of the symptoms of bipolar disorder coming about around, you know, uh, young adulthood is that it's a very stressful time for a lot of people. It's a period of transition. You know, a lot of people are taking this major developmental leap of leaving the home, going off to college, which can be incredibly stressful. And we know that stress, is one of the things that tends to um, contribute to the development of some of the bipolar symptoms that we see. So a classic presentation is um, uh, a young adult who's in college, living away from home, staying up late, um, having grandiose ideas, talking really fast. Um, And then, um, unfortunately for some people, because they may not have 
the necessary support at that age where they're located in a new place, they may end up in the hospital. Um, but it is a very treatable disease such that when people do get the treatment, they're able to return back to school. They're able to return back to living independently. Um, but it is pretty common to see people in their young adulthood who, who do uh, present with symptoms of bipolar. Now, do you have to have um, a family history? Uh, is it environmental? Where or how does this come about that somebody has bipolar disorder? Yeah. So, unfortunately, when it comes to the psychiatric disorders, we don't have a clear understanding at this point in time as to what the direct causes are for um, a number of our conditions. But what we have found is that there seems to be a connection between having a family member with bipolar disorder, especially a close family member, so mother, father, sister, brother, who have had the illness, it increases the likelihood that someone else in the family may also develop the, the condition. We also see that people who um, may have a, a lot of stress or um, may um, engage in some other um, problematic or concerning behaviors, such as using substances, um, they may be using that to uh, treat some underlying symptoms of depression or sometimes the, the mania, but we also see that using substances can actually uh, increase the likelihood of developing some of the symptoms that we see within bipolar disorder. You know, what we would love to see one day in my field of psychiatry is the ability to, to do a blood test, to look at genes, mm -hmm. to really get a clear understanding as to what's the likelihood of someone being able to acquire this condition, um, what their risks are, and to be able to determine, you know, do you have it or you don't. Um, so for a lot of folks, especially uh, people in the general population, it's hard for them to be able to recognize and identify the symptoms. That's why it's so important to talk to a, a mental health professional who's able to kind of pull together all aspects of the individual in terms of, you know, uh, their life, who they are, their stressors, their emotions, and then be able to make the, the diagnosis. Now, what about the difference between men and women? Does it present itself differently? Do women have different symptoms than men and, or vice versa? Yeah. So when I initially described bipolar disorder type 1, talking about mania and the symptoms of feeling really happy and euphoric, we also see that people who are in a state of mania can also be quite irritable and hostile. And we can see that more so in men can present with more of the irritability. And so mm. for a lot of people who are around an individual who may have symptoms of mania and they're the irritable type, uh, people will say, I feel like I'm always walking on eggshells whenever I'm around that person. It's like they're just so quick to pop off about everything and anything. So we do see mm. irritability and, and also in, in men. And that's why it's so challenging because when people present very irritable and hostile, they may be a little agitated, people may make 
the wrong assumptions about the individual's psychiatric condition. They may mm-hmm. say, okay, is this person actually psychotic? Is this person just using substances and that's why they're presenting like this? Um, mm. And so they may not be properly or accurately diagnosed um, because of the way they're presenting. And a lot of it has to do with our idea of what it is to, to be manic or idea of what it is to be bipolar that's portrayed in the media. You know, you often see mm-hmm. times of like this artist who is painting staying up all night, producing all of these um, creative uh, pieces of work. Um, but it's not as, uh, we can't romanticize it like that, or it's not as glorified as that for a lot of people. Um, there's, right. For some, there's a darker side to it. What about um, this issue of a woman, you know, she wants to get pregnant, and there's a lot of hormones and things that are going on. During your pregnancy, is it, safe for someone to have a child who's bipolar in terms of the physical safety? Yeah. So you're right. During pregnancy, women can experience um, a fluctuation in their hormones that has a direct impact on their mood. And we see it in women who do not have an underlying psychiatric condition. You do see some mood fluctuation. What we tend to tell women who have already been diagnosed with bipolar disorder who want to become pregnant, we tell them to have um, regular conversations with their psychiatrist. The reason why we say to do that is, number one, for women who, are, who have bipolar disorder, they may be on certain medications referred to as mood stabilizers that makes it such mm. that they don't have those wide fluctuations in their mood going from mania to depression so often. It helps to kind of Mm -hmm. stabilize things so that they're more so at their baseline. And the medicines that we often use to provide that mood stability can um, create or cause some birth defects for the baby if we're not um, mindful of that in terms of the dosing. And so we really want to make sure that we're safe and that's why we yeah. like to tell women, just let us know so that we know that they're on the appropriate medication. But for women who are treated, who continue to receive treatment for their bipolar disorder during pregnancy, they're able to maintain some mood stability throughout the pregnancy and even in the postpartum period. It may require some more follow-up, some adjustments in their medication. But it is absolutely possible to have a baby, to safely have a baby, and to remain safe in terms of your emotional well-being um, while pregnant as a woman with bipolar disorder. So that's really good to hear because, you know, um, guys may not be thinking about that particular issue. So you talk about these medications. Do you have names? What are the specific medications people could take? When it comes to the mood stabilizers, as I described before, that makes it such that you're not going from zero to 100 and having these huge shifts in your mood. Some of the most common um, medications that we use for this is a medication called lithium, which you may have heard about before, and it's actually an element on the periodic table, and there are trace amounts of lithium actually in well water, Um, within various communities across the 
the country. But we've been able to use this element um, and to formulate it in such a way that patients can take it every day in the form of a pill. Um, it does have some side effects related to it. And we do some blood testing just to make sure that the amount of the drug in the body is appropriate so that people are less likely to experience some side effects. So lithium is a very common one that we often use. Another one that is often used is, is called Depakote um, that provides um, some mood stability as well. Now, for some people who have bipolar disorder, they may have more periods of times in which they experience depression as well. And so for some people, they may be on a combination of a mood stabilizer and an antidepressant to prevent um, further depressive episodes and or reduce the uh, duration and the frequency of such episodes. And for people on the other end of the spectrum who tend to have more manic episodes and their mania may also have an element of psychosis. When I say psychosis, that means having the experiences of being somewhat out of touch with reality, so experiencing um, hearing voices or seeing things other people can't see. They mm. may also need to be on an antipsychotic to reduce some of those symptoms while also on a mood stabilizer. But most people do pretty well just on the one medication with the mood stabilizer alone. Now, how about going to talk to someone like yourself, a psychiatrist? Um, should they see a psychiatrist or should they see a psychologist? What is the difference and who is the best for someone who's dealing with bipolar disorder? Absolutely. So for a psychiatrist, which is what I am, I'm a medical doctor. I went to, me I went to medical school. I have my MD, but I did specialized training in using medication to uh, treat uh, psychiatric disorders. And I also have training at exploring whether or not there's an underlying medical uh, cause for some of their uh, behavioral or emotional disturbances. So medical causes for some psychiatric symptoms could be things like having problems with your thyroid or having heart problems or, or having cancer. So I'm also trained on that aspect as well. And a psychologist mm -hmm. is um, someone who went to graduate school, has their PhD, and they've learned about the human brain, how it processes emotion, and using therapy as a, a tool to reduce some, some symptoms. So they primarily do talk therapy, and they don't prescribe medication. Now, for a lot of people out there, it's hard to remember the difference between the two, especially if you're experiencing some symptoms, like you want to get treated, you want to get help. So I often recommend that people talk to their primary care doctor first, who can put them in the right direction for how best to navigate the mental health system and how best, best to access um, services um, within mental health. Um, there are not that many psychiatrists out there. Um, and in fact, there's not that many black psychiatrists. There's only about 2% of us um, that are black. And it's even more challenging when you're looking for a, a psychiatrist who treats children 
there's only about 8,000 of us in the, in the country. So I often recommend go to your primary care doctor first, share with them the symptoms that you're having, and they can help make the appropriate referral. Is it good to go to, like, group sessions with other people who are dealing with bipolar disorder, uh, or, or is that, like, not a good idea? What is your thoughts on, on group therapy? Yeah. I think that group therapy is a really helpful resource for a lot of people because sometimes people can feel very alone in experiencing some of these conditions, experiencing periods of depression, um, experiencing the consequences that are related to coming out of a manic episode. And it could be very isolating. And so having the opportunity to be in a group to share your experiences with other people who really understand what you've been through can be incredibly validating and can uplift the person too. Because oftentimes with some people who have bipolar disorder, they may have um, caused some uh, disruptions in some of the relationships with people who are very close to them, um, their family mm-hmm. members. Um, and at the same time, they may have family members and friends who don't understand what they're going through, who, who blame them um, for these fluctuations in their mood. Um, and to feel blamed for having a mental health condition um, is incredibly painful. And so I really recommend that people go um, and do group therapy. Um, there's an organization um, called DBSA, um, the Depression Bipolar Support Alliance, that has groups that are tailored specifically for people who have bipolar disorder. And also through NAMI, which is the organization that I'm a, I'm a part of, if you go to our website, nami.org, we also have um, a, a directory for support groups that are available just simply by putting in your zip code. We talked also before the interview about, and you just mentioned about the number of uh, psychiatrists or therapists that are out there that are African-American. What are some of the challenges that you see African-Americans facing who have been diagnosed or may not even been diagnosed yet? Um, Trying to get a diagnosis may be difficult. What are some of the issues you see around African-Americans and bipolar disorder? So what I often see is that people tend to seek out treatment later on in, their, uh, in the progression of their, their condition, right? So mm-hmm. they may experience symptoms early on, but they may be um, not as receptive to, to getting the, the help that they need, thinking, okay, well, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to talk to my pastor about it. I'm going to pray on it. Hopefully things will get better. Or especially with the black experience in America, everything is hard. Life is hard. Life is stressful. And that's been part of our experience for for many, many years. And so we've looked at our own family members, our ancestors, and we say to ourselves, well, they had it bad before. I just got to get myself up out of this and um, Mm -hmm. I got to work harder. Um, uh, There's something wrong with me. This is my fault. I got to just, I got to just pull up my, my bootstraps and, and keep it moving, right? Um, and so these are some of the reasons 
why people get into care a little bit later on because it's not really something that's talked about in our communities. Um, oftentimes when people think about talking to a therapist or seeing a, a psychiatrist, they think that it's a luxury for the worried well and that it is mm. not accessible for people like them. But the reality is a mental health condition is a medical condition that deserves treatment and deserves attention. And so um, unfortunately when we see people who come into treatment a little bit later on, they may present um, to the emergency room first in the crisis or they may be out in the community um, engaging in some um, reckless behaviors that may get them um, noticed by the police, and so they're interacting with the criminal justice system instead. And you remember how I mentioned earlier on about how some people who are manic can present kind of irritable and hostile? Well, especially with being black and and this history in the country for um, people being fearful of black folks, if folks are presenting irritable and hostile, then they uh, are quick to treat them a different way rather than going through the psychiatric hospitalization sort of way. Um, And so that's why I've been trying to tell people time and time again, we need to treat mental health like regular health. You know, if you start to notice that you're not sleeping right, if you start to notice that your mind is racing, you're talking really fast, um, you're having some unusual ideas on your mind, it's okay to talk to your primary care doctor about it because there's actual treatment for it. And that way we can prevent some of the crises that we um, unfortunately see um, that come up in, in our community because there is this delay in treatment. I mean, we're afraid to call the cops on, you know, one of our family members. I mean, we've seen time and again people getting shot and they were probably in a mental health crisis. I mean, do you feel, are you uh, on the side of defunding the police and putting more money back into the community today for things such as mental health care? What's your opinion on that? Yeah, so I I completely understand why it is a lot of family members um, are worried about calling the cops because if someone is in a state of mania and they may have psychosis, you know, the cops may start to become fearful and engage with the individual in a totally inappropriate way. Um, What I am for um, is having access to crisis helplines that people can call uh, when someone is in a, a mental health crisis rather than calling the police. There's been a lot of work on pushing legislation um, to have uh, the number 988 available across the country for people okay. to dial when there's a mental health issue that's um, happening out in the community. So instead of 911, in the next couple of years, we're going to have 988 available for everyone to call on any phone that they have so that they can speak to a trained mental health professional to get the um, help that they need um, to support someone who's in a mental health crisis. The other thing that I'm all for is having trained mental health professionals, clinicians, ride along with police when they are being called to the community about someone who may be in the midst of a, of a mental health difficulty. I do not think that um, 
you know, just simply relying on police officers to interact with uh, people who are in these crises, I, I, I do not think that's the best way to approach it. I do think that using our trained mental health professionals to engage with these people when they're in the midst of a crisis will provide the best care for the people in the community. And when things are going down, people won't feel scared um, yeah, to call scared. and get help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation, uh, Dr. Crawford. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all your knowledge. I want to uh, give a shout-out to the National Alliance of Mental Illness. Uh, they connected me with, with Dr. Christine Crawford, and their website, as she said, was uh, nami.org, N-A-M as in Mary, I, dot O-R-G. They have lovely, uh, uh, lots and lots of resources, no matter where you are in the country, you can click on uh, their website and find group meetings. They also have meetings for people, family members, who are dealing with other family members who have mental illness, and they have group support groups for the family members. So, so again, check out NAMI.org. Thank you so much, Dr. Crawford, again, for coming on this morning. Thank you, and this was an awesome conversation, and thank you for highlighting um, bipolar disorder and NAMI during your show this morning. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You have a great weekend, okay? You too. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Um, that was Dr. Christine Crawford. We were just talking about bipolar disorder. If you missed the episode, it will be archived. You can check it out on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, iTunes, as well as here at Blog Talk Radio. You can follow me at uh, Joy Keys on Twitter, Saturday mornings with Joy Keys on um, Facebook, and Saturdays with Joy Keys on Instagram. Stay tuned. I'm going to be speaking with poet Hanif Abdul-Raqib about his new book, and um, I'll be giving away copies of his book. Have a great weekend. Every year, millions of Americans are exposed to a contagious virus. What is this virus? It's stigma. Stigma promotes an environment of shame, fear, and silence, which prevents millions of people from seeking help. But there's good news. The National Alliance on Mental Illness believes stigma towards mental illness is 100% curable. So do yourself and everyone a favor. Go to curestigma.org and get tested for stigma. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.